You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering this morning. We're so excited to have you here with us. We're excited to have our friends from uh, Ecclesia, a church over in Noonan, joining us with us today, and uh, excited to have family and friends as well. Um, just a great day to be here, a great day to celebrate our risen Lord. Um, we're excited to be able to celebrate even further through baptism at the end of our service, and so just a great opportunity to celebrate Jesus today and, and to celebrate the resurrection, and we're excited to have you uh, with us for our service today. Um, both Ryan and I are going to be preaching here shortly, and I uh, wanted to first give you an opportunity if you didn't pick up uh, sermon notes on the way in. We do have sermon notes both for our adults and for our kids. Adam McLeod's got some copies. If you'd like a copy, um, feel free to lift your hand up and he can get that to you. Um, like I said, we'll have some uh, adult notes as well as kid notes that you can jot down um, if you would like to do so. Um, for those that are visiting with us, we do have bathrooms uh, right behind us. If you feel, uh, feel the need to get up during the service, feel free to do so. Um, we we want to make you feel as comfortable as possible um, while you're here today. And so, um, like I said, we can't, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, it's great to, again, be here with two churches uniting together. It reminds me that, that we're all part of the body of Christ, and we all celebrate and are unified um, around the same teaching and the same doctrines, and um, to be able to celebrate the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ today, and to to use this service as a springboard, as many of us will be going um, out to to spend time with family and friends later this afternoon, um, to be able to uh, point them in the direction of our hope. Let me pray for us once again, and then um, I'm going to excitedly turn it over to Ryan, who is going to start our time in the Word this morning. Father, we come to you today and we just praise you and thank you once again for our chance to, to gather um, because of your son, Jesus Christ, and uh, the salvation that's been extended to us. We thank you that while we were in darkness, you sent your Holy Spirit to bring about conviction in our hearts and to draw us to, to cross over into the light, to see the truth of who Jesus is, the promised Messiah, the one who comes to, to be our advocate uh, Father, we thank you that Jesus serves as, as the propitiation for our sins, the one who comes to, uh, to, to, to absorb your wrath on our behalf and to, to do so on the cross and to not stay dead, but to raise to life three days later. God, we celebrate Jesus today. We celebrate all that the resurrection means. Father, we thank you that you've given us the written word to be able to reflect upon today, to, to see those truths, to see those promises, to see the, the hope that's been extended to us because of Resurrection Sunday. Father, I pray that our time in the Word would be an encouragement, that you would uh, remind us of the things that we've been taught, that it would be uh, used in our life to, to further sanctify us and to further call us to be on mission for the things that you've called us to tell others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, he is risen. Indeed, he is. He is. I was telling someone this morning upon coming in that in the country of Romania, where I was at for about a year and a half uh, after university, um, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church there in practice says uh, he is risen. He has risen indeed for weeks before and weeks after um, uh, Easter Day. And it's just a way of sort of keeping things on the up and up. Uh, of course, as Tyson mentioned before, we actually quite technically uh, celebrate uh, Easter Sunday morning every single Sunday. That's the reason we have church on Sunday, uh, particularly. And, and, and also in the morning, as it were. That's, that's the tradition uh, behind uh, where we're at. We want, uh, I, I want, uh, on behalf of Ecclesia, to, to tell us of hope and all of our visitors today. We're honored to be with you. Uh, we love that we can get together with you uh, in community and solidarity and brotherhood and tell you 
um, that we love you and we're, we are grateful to God for you. And uh, how awesome is it to get together and uh, worship the Lord uh, today? So I've got a seven-page manuscript to get across in about 25 minutes. I'm going to shoot for 15, and hopefully we'll be out of here in 45, and I can pass it off to Adam. Um, and so... Um, no, uh, our, our time in the Word is going to be precious this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the narrative of the resurrection in Gospel of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty-four, Luke twenty-four, uh, verses one to twelve. Um, and then, if you want to as well, you can put your finger over in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses three to seven. So Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 3, we're going to read the historical narrative whereby we find the resurrection, and then we're going to move on to Paul, right, who actually builds the theological structure around the life of Jesus. That's what he does, right, in his Romans through Philemon sort of epistles. So, and that's the Christian creed, right, that he finds there. So Luke 24, verses 1 to 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 3 through 7, these are the words of God. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, they being the ladies, uh, taking the spices they had prepared, uh, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, uh, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Amen. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified on and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Verse ten. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But to the word but these words seemed to them an idle tale or a lie, uh, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran out to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 7. This is scripture, but it is one of the earliest Christian creeds that we can find. Most of our Christian creeds are extra-biblical, right? This is a a Christian creed that is actually in the canon. It's in the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 7 um, Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles. Let's pray and ask God's blessing uh, for the reading of his word. God, we love you this morning and we thank you for your grace to us, for your gospel, for your substitutionary death on our behalf that gives us the opportunity for eternal life, life for life, death for death. And so God, we pray that as your word literally has been read in hundreds of languages around hundreds of 
countries already this morning across the globe that you would add your blessing to its reading, that you would use your word to transform minds and to regenerate hearts. God, we ask for you to make much of yourself this morning for you to open our eyes to things that we have seen and that you would convince our hearts that the things that we believe are in fact consequential in our lives. God, we love you. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for victory. And we ask for you to help us to live in it today. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, so here's the outline. Preachers have to have outlines, as I understand it. Um, and, and so this is the outline in, in three words, uh, or, or three points, I, I guess you could say. First, uh, historical. The resurrection is historical. Um, number two, uh, the resurrection is Christ's reward. It is Christ's reward, uh, or you could say, as, as Tyson mentioned uh, previously, it is his vindication that what he said is, is true. And then last but not least, it is practically powerful. The resurrection is practically powerful, right? So uh, a few things about what we learned. We, first of all, we learned that it's historical, right? Uh, it's credible. It's authoritative. Uh, it, it is what it says that it was. It really happened. And if it didn't, then Paul said, we are above all men to be most pitied if it didn't. And number two, the resurrection isn't all about your salvation. It's also about the reward of God. And, of course, what's great about that is that this is not a human book, right? Uh, One of the reasons I love your pastor is because he understands that this is not a man-centered document. This is about man's rescue, but it is fundamentally about God. He knows that, right, and preaches that way. Um, every Sunday. So the second point is, is making much of Jesus in the resurrection. That Sure, it secured victory, right? But, but this is what it did. It vindicated Jesus as not a liar, C.S. Lewis, not as lunatic, but as Lord. It, it, it said, this is who you are, right? Um, and then lastly, uh, we, we find that the resurrection is practically powerful for our lives. And so we're going to take a look at the places of the Bible that says, well, what does it matter anyway? If he's risen from the dead, what does that mean to me to tomorrow at work or this afternoon when I get together with family who I am estranged from or don't have a good relationship with or don't, don't even want to be there? What does it mean to live in resurrection power? We're never going to get through this. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the historicity of the resurrection. Um, so there's, there's lots of things that we, we could go to. Obviously, we don't need extra biblical sourcing to tell us that the resurrection happened, though we have it. Uh, we believe the resurrection uh, because the Bible tells us so, right? I mean, that, that's what we teach our children from a very young age in, in, in song form, that we believe the things that we believe because the Bible is credible and authoritative, and when it says it, it means it, and, 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 and that's that, right? So we have early eyewitness count uh, in the Gospels that says, hey, it's true, it's, it's credible. A- and then what's wonderful about our Bible is that it's very unique from other historical documents. If you go around to the world's national museums, as a Greek national museum or the Louvre in Paris or in the British Museum in London, you'll find old his- history, some of them carved in paper, others in leather, some in stone. And it's interesting about how they don't put embarrassing information about their lives in it. 
You notice that? They, they literally wholesale write it out of the history. Now, uh, we still write, rewrite history today all the time, right? But what's so wonderful about this book is that it's full of embarrassing testimony. So not only do we have early testimony that, and, and eyewitness testimony that, that, that the resurrection happened, but we have embarrassing testimony right? Uh, there are people over and over again that, I mean, we just read it. It said, and they didn't believe it was true. That's pretty embarrassing, right? Uh, moreover, uh, and, and of course, we don't live in a, in a patriarchal society today, right? Um, women can now vote, work, etc., um, and have been liberated as it were, right? But not in this day, right? Women didn't have witness authority in a court of law, and yet our gospel, our proof our eyewitnesses come from women that have no credibility. And, and now this is not an embarrassing fact in our day. We live in 21st century America, right? But in the ancient days, this was embarrassing material. Even if you look at the Great Commission, even if you look at the Great Commission, uh, which is uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you back up to verse 16, it says that they, 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 were, they were looking at the resurrected Jesus and still some of the disciples were doubting. The Bible is full of our embarrassments. I mean, you don't have to look much past the life of St. Peter to see that that is true, right? Um, and, and so this is the reason that we know that, um, that it, is, it is accurate. Now, there are conspiracy theories all around. As a matter of fact, our Bible even has its own conspiracy theory in it. And, and, and Pilate and the others are involved, and they're saying, well, well you know, we'll just tell them that, um, you know, uh, the disciples maybe stole the body or something of that nature. Uh, and, and there are other theories that are around today that, that many people hallucinated, the resurrection didn't really happen, or when the ladies went to the tomb to find Jesus, they went to the wrong tomb. It's called the wrong tomb theory. Uh, another ridiculous idea that uh, the resurrection didn't really historically happen is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory says that when Jesus was on the cross, he fainted, he did not die. And uh, when he was put in that grave, he, uh, you know, I guess came out of hypovolemic shock from all the blood that he had lost and in Thor-like fashion moved the stone out of the way. Uh, it's just ludicrous. I mean, if you know anything at all about Roman execution practices, you would know that this is not altogether possible, right? The swoon theory is bizarre. Uh, it's not at all true. I, I mean, read, read, read the gospel narrative when it says, and they pierced his side and water and Blood flowed out. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. And yet today, what makes our movement so wonderfully different from every other revolutionary and revolution in the world is that our leader is alive. Shocking. Shocking. If Jesus wasn't alive, I would not be behind this sacred desk I wouldn't. I'd be doing something different because I would recognize that, hey, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have a Savior, not one that's living. So it is really important that you see that, um, in fact, Jesus is historically risen from the dead. Lee Strobel, uh, who uh, is famous for writing the case for Christ, uh, said this. He said, and I quote, I went to a psychologist friend and asked if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died. It was just a hallucination. The, uh, the psychiatrist replied, he said, hallucinations are an individual event. If 500 people have the same hallucination, that is a miracle bigger than the resurrection. 
Friends, the, the, the resurrection historically happened. Uh, when I uh, attended the London School of Theology for my terminal degree, there was, uh, the, the, you have professors and teachers that you kind of like and you don't like. I'm a middle school teacher. I work for Mr. Vincent, so I, I can say this, right? I mean, we, 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 certain, we certainly know this. There was a professor who was so liberal. I, every day when I went to class, I was just like, how is this guy even a Christian, Right? Um, and he was just constantly coming up against our faith and seemingly his faith as he had to sign a statement of faith. But the one thing that really, really surprised me is that we finally in class one day just stopped and as respectfully as we possibly could said, uh, Dr. Sheriffs, could you tell us what it is that you do believe for sure without any ambiguity? And he looked as sternly as he ever did. And he says, I believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he knew that even as liberal as he was, that he could not hold claim to any Christianity without believing in the resurrection. So friends, the resurrection is historically true. Number, number two, the resurrection is not just about you. It is about the vindication of Jesus. It is the reward of Christ. So here's, here's the idea. Um, do you remember the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7? He was wrongly executed. By the way, Jews weren't allowed to execute people. Um, the Jews executed by stoning, but they, were, they, were, they had overlords, a colonial power, right? Uh, the Romans, and, and the Romans killed people differently than Jews did. But they wanted a quick trial uh, of this Stephen, and they wanted him killed, so they didn't go to the Romans. They bypassed it. They did something quite illegal. And with false witness, they, uh, and under false pretense, they executed the first deacon of the church, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. If you notice what was done there, the text says, And he looked into heaven, and Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, that's unique because the only other place in the Bible where Jesus is standing in a throne room, uh, well, that's really the only place. That's the only one. He's always sitting. Uh, judges would sit. They would sit to listen and preside. And then when they made a judgment, what they would do is they would stand. And, of course, when he's standing, what the text is telling you is Stephen is vindicated. Now, the word vindicated means prove not guilty. You hear a vindication all the time when you hear the news and you heard of a man being in prison for 10, 15, 20, 30 years and they did a new DNA test back before it was possible for them to run DNA. And they found out that he wasn't actually guilty, right? And then the news comes up and says, man is vindicated, right? Vindicated means proven right. The resurrection of Jesus, friends, is about the vindication of Jesus. It is Jesus' reward from the Father for a perfect life and death. I told my eighth grade Bible class not many weeks ago, when you're dressed up on Easter Sunday morning in all the nice pretty pastels and all things are new, you don't forget this one thing I told them. And the one thing was, Easter is not about your glory. It is about the glory of Jesus Christ. It, it's about making much of Jesus. Now, friends, did you get a lot out of that resurrection? Did you benefit greatly from that resurrection? Well, of course you did. But it's, it, it's not about your reward. This is, a, this is a God-centered, Christ-exalting book. If we can borrow some adjectives from John Piper, right? And it is. It's about Jesus 
and the resurrection, while liberating you and giving you hope for heaven and giving you eternal life and giving you the assurances that you need, it is, in fact, ultimately a reward for Jesus. This is what's so great and unique. Not only is it vindication for Jesus to be proven right, but Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26 tells us that the death of Jesus was actually transversely vindication for his heavenly father. The Bible says there in that chapter that God the Father had passed over sins in his forbearance previously committed. That is to say, there were tons of sins that hadn't been paid for, and Adam, the justice of God, needed to be vindicated. So it wasn't just Jesus who was being vindicated by his father in the resurrection, but by, get this, but by his death, but by his death, Jesus looked at the father and said, your justice is appeased. Your justice is appeased. Children, if we have children in the room, I need you to repeat after me. Can you repeat after me? Okay, here we go. The resurrection, try it again. The resurrection, good, is Jesus' innocence and reward. Okay, the, the resurrection is Jesus' innocence and reward. Adults, will you repeat after me? Here we go. The resurrection is God the Father's reward, reward. to Jesus Jesus. for his perfect life and death. death. Sure, all things are new. Sure, you have new life in Christ. Sure, you have all of these things. But ultimately, uh, the resurrection of Jesus is God the Father saying, not guilty. Here, here is your reward. Now, you're saying, why do we need to talk about this? Uh, because, friends, in that, in that court, in that ancient day, uh, Jesus needed to be vindicated, not as the son of a crazy carpenter, but truly as God. And here's the thing that's so unique about that for you today, is that you and I also live in a place where Jesus' reputation is constantly scrutinized in the court of public opinion, right? And guess what the resurrection does for those skeptics today, even if you are one? It looks at you and it says, not guilty. Not guilty. Jesus' resurrection and reward didn't only need to be proved in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Jesus' resurrection still today in 2018 is still the evidence up against anyone who would say Jesus is not God. In fact, the one thing that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John mean is these three words. Jesus is God. And that's what the resurrection does. The resurrection says that he was innocent, that he was right, and that he was God. So, uh, last um, but not least um, is the resurrection power by which you live. Um, the resurrection power by, by which you live. Um, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse means lots of different things. And you could put it a lot of different ways, but one way that we have to put it is that you, with Christ, are co-crucified. And today, praise God, you are co-resurrected, right? Some of you uh, have been, for a very, very long time, even since your adolescence, been dealing with identity issues, uh, such identity issues that Mr. Vincent will be, or Pastor Vincent will be talking about shortly. Um, and yet, you need to know what, Question one from the New City Catechism uh, and the Heidelberg Catechism say, what is our only hope in life and death? That we belong, body and soul, to Christ Jesus. You need to know who you belong to today. And uh, here's here's the thing. Uh, The reason that Christianity is the most wonderful revolution in the world uh, is because we believe crazy things We don't follow a dead leader. We follow someone who is alive. You belong to Jesus. That's what Q1 of the Heidelberg Catechism says. You belong to Jesus. And guess what? Dead people don't own things. Dead people don't own things. And Jesus is not dead. He's alive, and he's still in the business of possessing people. And he possesses you. And he loves you. What does the resurrection mean for me? It means that Jesus is not dead. And when he looks at you in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, and says, behold, all souls are mine, he means you. He means you. He says, hey, you belong to me. So how, how is the resurrection for me, pastor, practically powerful today? Well, you're owned. You're owned. You, the, God's creator writes, say so. Says that he owns you, that he made, made you. Um, And as Mr. Vincent will talk about momentarily, he sustains you. Um, Another principle beside his possession over you is um, the reality that he provides life to you. He provides life. The Bible says in him we live and move and breathe and have our being in Acts chapter 7. The world, for whatever reason, just thinks that we can get up and go on about our day and that it is not God who gives us life. They, uh, they and we, unfortunately, are so scientific that we think that life is just about biology. It's just about biology. It's just about blood and life and oxygen. And if you can't get those things together, then that's not the case. Not true. The Bible says over and over and over again that because of the life and death of Jesus and now the resurrection of Jesus, that he will give life to your mortal bodies. He'll give life to your mortal bodies. Uh, What does that mean? It means that Jesus is in control because of the resurrection of all of life. He has stripped death and suffering of all of its ill will and bad meaning. It has no meaning now that Jesus is Lord. When, when you, let me ask you a question. Can you today keep yourself alive? Can you? You can't. You can't. You, you're not in charge. You, you're not in charge of staying alive. You can't. Uh, also, how you're not in charge is when you die, who's in charge there? Who's going to put body and soul back together? My daughter asked me this morning on the way to church, where does your soul go when you die? We were talking about some good theology in the Tipton van coming on the way here. Um, who, who's in charge of all that? Hey, Jesus is Lord. He's sovereign. He controls that stuff, 
right? Uh, and, and we should be under no delusions that the world that you live in is any different. We serve a sovereign God. I mean, your church name is Sovereign Hope, Sov Hope, right? I mean, you believe in a sovereign God. Um, uh, so who, who is our only hope in life and death? It's, it's Jesus. And it is by his resurrection that you are able to live and do anything, right? Anything. If you show kindness, uh, it's because God let you, right? It's because God gives you the energy to do so. God has given you the Holy Spirit to obey, and therefore, you can obey. It is not the fruit of Adam McLeod. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit who is in you, working through you. You and I need to be painfully aware that we live and move and breathe and have our being because of the resurrection of Christ. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal, mortal bodies. Where do I get the life in which I now live? Well, it's not just anatomical, biological consciousness. It's not. I live and breathe, breathe and move and have my being because Jesus gives it to me. And he can give it to me because he, he, he defeated death and it has no more sway over my life. Well, we're going to have to um, move over fear because uh, we just don't have time for it, which is timely because Mr. Vincent is going to talk about I keep calling you Mr. Vincent. We're not in the classroom anymore. Um, um, well, here's, here's, here's something that I, I, I want to I bring to bear if I, I can. Because of the resurrection, last thing I'm going to say, I'm just talking about unbelief for a second. Um, as far as how is the resurrection practically powerful, third point, for my everyday life, um, and, and that is this. You need to battle unbelief. Um, Adam did a fantastic job of lining up our uh, chapel services at Trinity, and he basically had a whole list of things that he wanted all of our uh, middle schoolers to know via chapel before they left the middle school. Masterful job of putting it together. And one of them, as a matter of fact, the one that we were talking about this past week in chapel was this. And Mr. Carr uh, taught on it. And that was uh, unbelief is the center of most of our sin. Of most of our sin. And, and, and friends, here's the thing. That is absolutely true. Most of us think it, it's pride that is at the center of all of our sin. But it is unbelief. It is, and this is this is what I mean. And at Echo C, we've talked a lot about this, so we're certainly beating a dead horse, but my sinful heart and my flesh needs us to beat the dead horse every hour, right? Um, uh, we don't trust God to meet our needs, and therefore we sinfully take our own pleasure into our own hands. And that could be in any area of our life, but this is what the resurrection does. The resurrection says, you don't have to live in that unbelief. You don't have to. And the resurrection, what it does is it points us to believe uh, really anything that God says. My friends, if you can believe in the resurrection, you can believe in anything. You can believe in anything. Uh, and if you historically believe in the resurrection, then it gives you the, certainly the power that you need. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you uh, to take uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 seriously when it says, um, all things work for good, right? Let me encourage you to battle unbelief against not believing that. 
Let me encourage you to believe Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 32. He who did not spare his own son, will he not also freely give us all things? Do you really think practically that God can provide for you? Even though it may not look like it around you, emotionally, spiritually, socially, do you do believe, in fact, that God can do that? Or in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, when uh, Abraham had been promised the entire nation of Israel, and yet the only way he was going to get it, God had asked him to go and kill his son. It said that even so, he believed that God would find a way to resurrect his son from the dead, and that belief, it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God. Uh, The resurrection helps me, helps me to believe the things that I need to believe to help me battle unbelief. Um, Adam's going to come, and we're going to pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your grace to us, for your goodness. Thank you for your word, God, which is um, eternal, God. The flower withers, the grass fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. God, I pray that you would renew our minds, that you would give us fresh energy from the Holy Spirit to live lives that make much of you. God, we thank you for your resurrection day. I pray that you'd pierce our hearts with your word. We pray these things in Christ's good name. Amen. Appreciate Ryan taking the time to share with us this morning. I want to kind of pick up and piggyback off of everything that he's already said um, as quickly as possible to continue our celebration of the resurrection. Um, something that we do here uh, when I preach is to uh, each, each Sunday try to give you a summarization of everything that I want to say in one sentence. And so I want to do that um, for you to start off this morning. And that's to see that my faith in Jesus is directly tied to being convinced of his resurrection, compelling me to live my life daily with a hope of future glory. My faith is directly tied to my belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And that belief in his resurrection, it compels me to live my life daily in such a way that that reminds me of a, a future hope, a future glory that is to come for me. For our kids, our main reason for believing in Jesus is because of the resurrection story. Our whole, our whole foundation of our faith rests on what we celebrate today. If you're taking notes with us, uh, I want to go through this quickly. Um, number one, I want to I help you see that the resurrection of Christ sustains us daily. It sustains me daily. For our kids, every day should be shaped by Jesus. The resurrection of Christ is meant to sustain us on a daily basis. It's, it's where we find our identity. Um, as we come and celebrate today, there's, there's many other things that we could be doing today. Um, I was up early studying this morning and preparing and uh, just spending time with God and spending time with his word. And, and I saw people coming in and out of McDonald's this morning and uh, setting, setting their course for today. And it was, not to, it was not to head to church. It was not to celebrate the resurrection. It was, it was to go and do a, a variety of different things. Our identity is wrapped up in what we celebrate today. I can't imagine being anywhere else today than with my church family celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. It sustains us on a daily basis. Our identity is wrapped up in Jesus and his resurrection. It's wrapped up in that. We've defined uh, here at Sovereign Hope before, a Christian is someone who believes in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and lives in light of the implications of that event by faith through the Spirit's power. 
Let me say that again. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, what you are saying or what you should be saying is that you are one who believes in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and that you strive to live in light of the implications of that event. What are the implications? That that Jesus rose from the dead to set us free from sin so that he could come back one day for us and usher us into eternity. A Christian is one who believes in that event, who lives in light of that event, by faith through the Spirit's power. I'm defined by believing in the resurrection because that's how Jesus' early followers were defined. In John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Their belief from the very beginning was tied to their understanding that Jesus predicted his death and Jesus proved the resurrection after that death. They remembered his teachings, they were reminded of it, and they believed in the words of Jesus. In John chapter 11, John chapter 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went in and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus was constantly redirecting people to understand that belief in him meant believing in his ability to resurrect. In John chapter 12, a chapter right after this, right after the story of Lazarus, in verse 9, the, the, the rumors and the, the stories about Lazarus' resurrection is spreading. And it says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Man, what that tells us, it's, it's outside the Lazarus story, but what it tells us is that the Lazarus story isn't about Lazarus. It's about Jesus, right? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead as a precursor to what he's going to do for all of his followers, And the Jews, the ones that hated Jesus, the one that wanted to reject him as Messiah, recognized this and said, okay, we've got a problem here. We've got to kill Jesus. And by doing so, we've got to kill Lazarus as well because the resurrection story is causing people to believe in the message of Christ. This this occurred into the early church as the book of Acts testifies in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
It was the message of the early church. It's what they were teaching to others. People were hearing this story. They were believing this story. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, Paul says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Man, Paul says, I've got to know this resurrected Jesus. I've got to align myself with him. I have got to identify myself with him. It's my only hope for attaining resurrection myself. I'm alive today and forever because of the resurrection. You realize that that when we talk about our our identity in Christ, it's a resurrected type identity. In John chapter 5, Jesus is, is teaching about the resurrection but he's teaching about a physical and a spiritual resurrection. In John chapter 5, verse 24, listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus here is talking about a spiritual type resurrection. He says, there's coming a day where those that are dead, we understand later in the New Testament, those who are dead in their sins will come to life, right? They will come to life and experience a spiritual resurrection. He says, there's coming a day, and it's actually already here now, where people will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. That that is not yet here, right? They'll hear his voice and they'll come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I'm alive today and forever. I've I've experienced a spiritual resurrection by aligning myself with Jesus, by identifying with Jesus, and I look forward to a day where I experience a physical resurrection as well. Romans chapter six is a great picture of this, and I I feel it needed to to read this because of what we're gonna do later is to celebrate baptism because here we understand what baptism is, the picture that it's to portray to us this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're gonna celebrate that today, the picture of baptism. It's the picture that we identify with Christ's death. Spiritually, we are dead to sin. We have died to that. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. We've, we've been made into new creations, new creatures. We're being sanctified. We're being made holy. We look forward to that day where God comes to bring that work to completion. My identity is found in Jesus and his resurrection. Number two, my daily choices are based on Jesus and his resurrection. My daily choices are based on Jesus and his resurrection. Ephesians chapter two, we won't take time to read it, but it talks about our previous life before Christ. It talks about us being dead in our sins and and walking according to the course of this world, right? We were by nature's children of wrath, but Jesus shows up and quickens us through the Holy Spirit changes us, recreates us, causing us to now live our lives differently. Philippians chapter three also attests to this. Philippians chapter three, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul's describing people that wander from the faith. He says they wander for these reasons. They abandon the Christian faith for earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul's reminding us that our choices today are to be filtered through a heavenly perspective of what we are to become. He says, don't wander from the faith for these earthly things. Keep your mind set on the heavenly things that are to come. Your new body is to come. Christ has been resurrected. You too are to be resurrected. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the very last last verse of that chapter that's all about resurrection says, therefore, my beloved brothers, based on everything that Paul has just said about the resurrection, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When we identify ourselves with the resurrection of Jesus, we believe it, we become believers of the resurrection. Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It radically changes our daily choices. Radically changes our daily choices. We were, um, a tradition that we have as a family is uh, to go and visit the graveside of our loved ones uh, a couple of days before Easter. I mean, so we take our kids there to teach them about resurrection. And so we take them to believers uh, from our family that have gone and passed away and, and we tell stories about them. Um, because my children haven't met the people that we go to visit their graves. And so we tell stories about them, what it was like to grow up with them as our grandparents. And, and so we, we want them to kind of feel as though they know them and to feel an anticipation of one day getting to know them better in heaven. And so we've, we've done this for the past six years now, I think. And uh, it always leads to great questions as our kids continue to get older. And as Lauren and I were driving home with our kids, AJ began to, to ask questions about the gospel. From the very back of the car, he starts to ask really what I would consider deep, deep questions uh, and, and he's wrestling through, what, what does this mean? And, and some of the things that you've talked about, and I've heard Uncle Mac talk about, what, what does this mean? And, and one of the questions that he asked is, does a Christian stop sinning? Once somebody becomes a Christian, does he stop sinning? And, and I told him, I said, well, buddy, you know that I'm a Christian, and, and you know that I still sin. Can you think of anything that I do that's sinful? And Abram says, I can. 
I mean, just immediately, like, AJ was kind of wrestling with it, and, and Abram's like, I got some right here. I, I got some. If AJ doesn't have any, I've got some. And, and so I began to talk to them. I said, look, like, I'm not perfect, right? Like, I believe in Jesus, but, but I'm still a work in progress. And, and I talked to both of them about how I want to do bad things less and less as a Christian now, and I want to do good things more and more as a Christian now. My daily choices are, are being radically changed because of my identification with the resurrection of Jesus. But number three, my perseverance is attached to Jesus and his resurrection. My perseverance is attached to Jesus and his resurrection. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, if he is not alive today, then he is a liar. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This isn't something that should have shocked them. This isn't something that should have surprised them. This is a case of people being hearers of the word and not doers of it. They, they weren't dialed into his teaching because he was very clear leading up to his death and resurrection that it was going to happen. And if Jesus is not alive today, I cannot follow him. I cannot follow him because his teachings are rooted in the idea of him coming back to life. 1 Corinthians 15, the whole basis of that chapter is if our, if our Lord is not raised, our faith doesn't matter. Our, our, very, our very relevance, uh, our faith's very relevance comes from the resurrection. Let me just talk to our, our youth for just a second here, for our, for our kids that are going to go off to school. Let me just tell you, you are going to meet individuals who are smarter than your parents, who are smarter than your elders here at this church. You're going to come across people who know more than we do. You're going to encounter professors potentially at, potentially at colleges that are going to challenge your faith, that are going to say things and show things and teach things that, that maybe you haven't heard previously. I want you to understand that what Scripture tells us is that there's never a reason to wander from the faith. There's never a reason to wander from the faith unless it is proven that Jesus is not back from the dead. Your professors would love to get you bogged down on things like the age of the earth. I'm working with a, with a faculty member at Trinity. His son has gone off to college and has, been, has had his faith radically shaken by some of his professors. Right, he's coming home and he's like, Dad, I don't know if I, if I can believe anymore because I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the age of the earth and, and it seems to be a lot older than, than maybe you previously told me that it was. And so I was giving him some resources. He came home and he said, yeah, I'm just really, I'm really concerned because my professors are, are highlighting that God's character seems really odd in the Old Testament, that he seems like an angry, vengeful God in the Old Testament in the way that he executes the Canaanites. So I'm giving his dad some resources. Here's some things to talk about with your son. Here's some ways to redirect him and help him to see God's goodness in light of all these things that his professors are sharing. Then this week, I texted his dad and I said, you know what, take all that off the table. Let's get back to the fact that unless he has reason to believe that the resurrection has not occurred, he has absolutely no reason to abandon his faith. Right? Paul doesn't say, if the earth ends up being older than I previously thought, then my faith is futile, my faith is in vain. Paul doesn't say, if I wake up one morning and the most precious, loved uh, human being to me is found to have cancer and dies, then my faith is now futile, right? To our youth, you're going to wake up one day and it's not going to be as good as today. Your circumstances are going to change and you're going to wake up and say, where is God? Where is God in all of this? This doesn't make any sense. You're going to be challenged by people who, who know things and speak things that you've never heard about potentially. And you're going to say, wow, how do I mesh this with what I know about Scripture? 
it all comes back to the resurrection. I cannot walk away from Jesus because it's the only thing that makes sense when I look at the data. I posted on my Facebook feed, the, the, the amount of facts that are agreed upon by the greatest skeptics that are out there is staggering. When, when you look at the facts that even the person who says, I don't believe in the resurrection, they believe these facts, you're left going, how do you not believe in the resurrection? Like, like you believe too many things to not believe in the resurrection, right? Our faith, our perseverance is tied to the fact that Jesus has come back from the dead. But our resurrection, the resurrection of Christ also guarantees me eternity. Not only does it sustain me daily, it guarantees me eternity. For our kids, all of our hopes are based on Jesus. All of our hopes are based on Jesus. So not only does belief in the resurrection keep me going on a daily basis, so that when, I, when I'm challenged and my faith is challenged and my circumstances are difficult, I keep coming back to the fact that Jesus isn't in the tomb. Jesus isn't in the tomb. Right? We talk to our kids at the graveside. Here's where, here's where Granny Griffin's body is. This is where Granny Griffin was laid to rest. We can't go visit Jesus' tomb and see his body. We can't go see Jesus' tomb and talk about his body being right here because it's not, right? Scripture tells us he is in, in the heavens as our advocate right now, right? Like he is interceding on our behalf. It sustains us daily, but it guarantees our eternity. It guarantees our eternity. First of all, my fear of inadequacies can be redirected. My fear of inadequacies can be redirected. As we become Christians, we begin to, to strive to follow Jesus and we, be, we realize very quickly that we're not perfect, right? And we can feel very inadequate about the fact that we can't seem to, to do the things that we desire to do now. Paul talks about the, the tension there that exists. I, I, I can't seem to do the things that I wanna do and the things that I don't wanna do seem to be the things that I keep coming back to. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in me, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Here's the key part. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Man, Jesus' resurrection promises to us that one day we won't have the inadequacies that we deal with right now. The, the, the sin and the temptation will be removed completely from our lives. We have glorious bodies that are coming to us just like Jesus indwells right now. Man, all the, the frustrations that we feel with sin, that, that already not yet perspective, man, we know that it's coming. We know Jesus is returning, but he's not here yet and we still struggle with sin, right? My, my, my son can testify to the fact that I still struggle with sin, but I look to this verse and I'm encouraged because what I'm going to be, it's not here yet. This, this isn't the end product. This isn't what you're going to have to deal with for eternity. Right? There's coming a day where the, where the recreated Adam Vincent is going to exist, and it's going to be far better. It's going to be far better. At my best day, what is to come is going to be far better. Man, I look forward to the day when my inadequacies are completely removed. Number two, my fear of separation can be extinguished. 
my fear of separation could be extinguished. In light of what we celebrate today, we don't have to fear separation any longer. First of all, we don't have to fear separation from God because in John chapter six, Jesus says, all that the Father has given to me will come to me and I will not lose any of them and I will raise them up on the last day. Man, what a promise. What a promise that we will endure. We will persevere. We won't fall prey to any type of deception that may come. Book of Revelation talks about a lot of coming deception that the enemy will seek to to twist and and, and distort the gospel message. Jesus promises and says, all that are supposed to come to me, all that the Father has given to me, they will be mine. And on the last day, I will raise them up. I will raise them up. My own resurrection is guaranteed because of Christ's resurrection. He serves as a, as a first fruit. He serves as a first fruit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. My, my resurrection is guaranteed because of Christ's resurrection. Paul says, because Christ has been raised from the dead, he's the, he's the first of many to come. I look forward to my resurrection as well. My sorrow has been altered. My fear of death has been eliminated. Hebrews chapter 11 It's a reminder to us of what's happening to everybody that's been a believer since the Old Testament and what they're doing right now. Sometimes you get some bad theology at funerals where um, people talk about believers uh, being in new bodies right now, and that's just not the case, right? Like they're detached from their bodies. We are burying their bodies here on this earth. And when Jesus comes back, they will be reunited with their bodies. In Hebrews 11, 39, after talking about all these Old Testament heroes, it says, and all these things... There are all these people, though they were commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Nobody's perfect yet. Nobody has a glorified body yet except for Jesus. He's the first fruit. Everybody in the Old Testament is waiting in anticipation just like we are. Right there with Jesus, and that's far better. That's far better than being here. Paul testifies to that in Philippians. But it's not the finished product either for them. They look forward to that day. First Thessalonians highlights that in chapter four, that those who have gone before us are coming with Jesus and we're all getting glorified bodies at the same time. We don't have to fear that separation from our loved ones. We don't have to fear death because Jesus, his resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Man, I look forward to the day to being reunited with those that we go and visit at their gravesides as families. Man, last year was difficult for me and my wife because we lost two children through miscarriages. And because of what we believe about the sanctity of life and when the, when the conception happens, the life begins, man, we believe that those were children of ours, right? And, and, I, and I preached a sermon that, that told you why I believe from Scripture that those two children are with Jesus today. And I fully believe, based on what, what has happened with the resurrection of Christ, that they're coming with Jesus. And I'm going to meet people that I've never met before, right? I look forward to the fact that my sorrow, I don't sorrow as those who have no hope right? My fear of death has been eliminated. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll wrap up with this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came, and through his resurrection, he defeated death. Revelation 1, 17 through 18, we've been studying as a church, says that Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades, right? Like he's like a, 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 a character in an old video, a Nintendo game, where he has beaten the foe, and he's earned the key, right? Like he, he has won the victory, and he now holds the key. He holds all the authority to the place of death in Hades. We have no reason to fear death because Jesus holds the keys. In fact, he goes so far as to tell his followers in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, as he talks to the church in Smyrna, he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Man, imagine reading that as a follower of Jesus and Jesus tells you, be faithful until you die. You're, you're, you're probably going to die right here and be faithful to it and I'll give you the crown of life. As Christians, as hard as it is for us to imagine having our lives in jeopardy because of our faith in Jesus, if we believe the resurrection, then we can respond just like the disciples did when they saw the resurrected Jesus. That was to testify boldly before the, the councils, before the Pharisees, to, be ha- to, to have their lives threatened, as, as Ryan talked about Stephen standing there, taking his own death, taking his own death and seeing Christ before him, right? Longing to be with Jesus. Our, our fear of death has been eliminated. Final thought that I want to leave you with. Let us rejoice today, for we are one step closer to our own resurrection. Romans chapter 8 Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul talks about not just us, but all of creation is looking forward to that day Jesus comes back. Because his resurrection guarantees that a new heaven and a new earth is to come right we read about this in in revelation 21 i can't wait to get there as a church we've been studying through revelation we've been mired in some antichrist stuff and we are looking forward to the day that revelation 21 and 22 comes where the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in and and the tears are wiped away and the death is removed completely and we rejoice today we rejoice today because we're one step closer to that day jesus's resurrection it sustains us on a daily basis. No matter what you face this week, there's no reason to walk away from Jesus. Unless some type of proof comes out that a body has been found and that the whole belief of, of the resurrection is a sham, it doesn't matter what you face today. It doesn't matter what you face this week. We hold tight to Jesus because of his resurrection. We look forward to his return because it means our resurrection.
I'm going to pray for us. And, and after I finish praying, I'm going to ask those that are going to participate in our baptism to go ahead and dismiss themselves. We're going to sing a couple of songs, celebrate the resurrection once again, anticipate baptism as we welcome two into our family. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you and praise you of what today means. We thank you that Jesus has come. He came to live. He came to die. And through both of those acts, he came to defeat death, to forgive us of our sins, to resurrect us to new spiritual life today, and to give us a hope of glory. God, I pray that we would continue to share this with our family and our friends, that we would see people come to know you, to put their faith and trust in you because of the resurrection, and that it would give them the hope of their own resurrection one day as well. We thank you for those that are in your presence right now, those that have gone before us, our family, our friends, our loved ones, Old Testament saints. God, we look forward to the day where we're all together. We rejoice that we're with another church today. We look forward to the day when we're with all of your people celebrating the resurrection. God, we thank you for the two that have entered your kingdom recently and will testify of that through baptism. God, I pray that through the picture of baptism today, you would communicate to adults and children alike the truth of the gospel that we've highlighted this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.